Uh, dear listener, and welcome to the Metacost Crypto Corner, brought to you by Navic. I'm your host, Nico, and today I'm joined by Faye Maidment and Charlie Cohen. And today um, we're talking about the thing that I'm excited about, which is digital expression in Web3. Um, and we also have two people on the pod that I'm also very excited to have on. Um, so we have Faye and Charlie. Um, yeah, let's kick this off. Quick intros and then we can dive straight in. Um, my name is Nico. I'm an investor on the crypto side at Bitcraft. And... Um, next to that, I also talk about blockchain and gaming, and that's what I'm doing today. Um, but I'm, I'm super excited to host uh, Faye and Charlie. So, uh, Faye, you want to you know, kick this off with, with an intro about yourself? Yes. Thank you so much, Nico. Really excited to be here. Um, so, hi, everyone. I'm Faye. I'm an investor at Bitcraft. I've been here almost almost a year now, which is crazy. Um, I've got a strong interest in all things sort of digital fashion, virtual worlds, digital expression, Previously, I was a CMO at an avatar company um, before joining Venture. And then before that, actually worked momentarily in the fashion industry um, in a luxury showroom in Milan. I did not know that. It's new to me. Uh, so it's good to know. Did you yeah. not? Oh, sorry. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, so imagine my excitement when we were in- introduced to Charlie. Um, it felt like the merging of two worlds. Uh, and we were able to lead the restless round, which we'll, we'll definitely cover in this uh, pod. Um, and that was joined by Rogue, um, VR Fund and Starting Line and angel investors, including Paris Hilton. Uh, so we're very excited to have her today um, to chat to her and, and hear her take on all things digital fashion and why Web3 is coming for the fashion industry. Uh, so we'll pause here and pass over to Charlie to uh, share a little bit more about her background. Thanks so much, Faye and Nico. Great to Great to be here. Um, so I started, I guess, what would now be described as a metaverse fashion brand 10 years ago. Um, so I've been in the space for a while, got into immersive tech, um, AR and VR pretty early on, looking at how to create virtual experiences around physical fashion. Um, from there, or segued into the gaming industry, started focusing more on virtual assets, um, so in-game skins that had physical fashion counterparts. Um, and as I became... Um, somewhat obsessed with tackling the interoperability issue uh, around uh, skins and in-game items. I fell down the NFT rabbit hole. Um, Obviously, I'm still there. Uh, Launched Restless from within that rabbit hole, uh, specifically to uh, tackle issues around interoperability, um, offering the ability to uh, customize wearables and have a real level of control over your virtual identity. No, amazing. And I think something that you didn't mention there that I think we have to start with is that you actually founded your own fashion brand at 15. So yes. I think we need to I think we need to start there also um, to tell us a little bit more about that journey, because to be quite honest with you, you don't really hear about that unless we're talking so, sort of more like the Roblox fashion groups, <laughs> which is definitely where, the, where they're starting early. But 15 for us and our gen is is quite young. How did that happen? Um. So... I had just arrived in New Zealand uh, by boat from the UK. Um, so sort of two years sailing to New Zealand, I had quite a lot of time to um, think about what I wanted to do with my life um, upon arrival. Um, so I was drawing a lot, writing a lot, planning a lot. Um, and I'd always been very interested in fashion. Um, I think sort of inherited from my dad, who's quite a fashionista. Um, and by the time I got to New Zealand, um, we were in quite a remote um, area. Um, school was extremely easy compared to the UK. I was really bored. 
Um, and I decided that, okay, with all this spare time, it would be great to figure out what it actually means to run a fashion brand. I already had a bit of an inkling by then that design was probably a small part of it. Um, so I thought, okay, the best way to get my head around the rest of it, like uh, supply chain, uh, wholesale, marketing, how to fill out a tax return, all that fun stuff. Um, it would be good to get the experience uh, then when there was just less pressure wow. around it. Just one question. Why did you take a boat from the UK to New Zealand? <laughs> oh, I would, I mean, why, why wouldn't you? I would really? highly recommend it to everyone. Like it was, it was an amazing formative experience um, from having a very adventurous mum and stepdad. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was their dream. I was along for the ride um, and yeah, fantastic formative awesome. experience. Okay. Yeah. School of life. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> um, no, that's that's awesome. And sort of then taking fashion from, like, let's say, the physical to the digital, where did that all start? I'm assuming that wasn't also on the boat. Um, that, wasn't, that wasn't also on the boat. <laughs> um, and and uh, just from my experience also in the fashion industry, which was quite short, I'll, I'll tell you, and you're, you know, far more advanced in that sense. Um, but... Obviously, right now it feels like, yes, we've made great headway, but before um, fashion was very much stuck in its traditional ways. And I'm curious as to why you felt like this was the route you wanted to take your career in fashion. I think because by the time, so I'd had this um, sort of experience of uh, running this brand before uni and then went into my fashion degree, um, during which time I was still um, kind of experimenting with my um, my own assorted businesses, uh, one of which was sort of accidentally falling into um, social media marketing. Um, my friends were mostly in um, your sort of typical unpaid fashion internships um, and just this kind of exposure to the traditional industry. Like just by the time I'd finished my degree, I absolutely hated the fashion industry. Um, so I was quite determined to do something that was different from what we've been seeing. Um, so yeah, I'm sort of a firm believer, like if you want to be able to change something, you need to do it from the inside. And it's really important for industries to have people and founders in them who are you know, really uncomfortable with the, the current status quo, otherwise nothing progresses. Um, so one of the things that I was very interested in at that time, and I hadn't sort of quite gone into the the actual virtual fashion side but um being able to create immersive virtual experiences that were an alternative to traditional fashion weeks um, and that was something that everybody could participate in um and you know get close to the brand get to really understand the um the inspirations behind the collection um a way for me to interact with the community and for them to interact with each other um, so that was my initial focus. Um, and then as or through video games, I started to understand the potential for virtual fashion. Um, one piece that I was really excited about was uh, the like identity and self-expression piece, because we spend, you know, arguably more time socializing, interacting in digital than in physical. Um, so our visual identity should you know, have the same level of importance. Um, you should have the same level of power over it in digital as you do in physical. So that was very interesting to me. And then the other piece was um, 
sustainability. So even though I'd set up Charlie Cohen as a sustainable brand, um, you know, it's still not sustainable putting new product out into the world. And that was something that I was very uncomfortable with. So this idea of being able to shift a significant portion of the brand's revenue into pure digital uh, was really appealing because, you know, I could uh, reduce uh, like significantly mm. reduce the amount of physical production I was doing and also even for pieces that we would physically produce I could um, test appetite take pre-orders via virtual fashion and then literally just produce to demand amazing and that just leads perfectly onto my next question which is how has that changed since the pandemic like there has uh, been this <clears throat> rise of interest in virtual fashion um, obviously we're not going to the bricks and mortar stores that was obviously then when we were all locked down um, and then we were sort of moving inward and playing our, our games, um, not really seeing anyone else. So as you mentioned, right, like the clothes that we're wearing were probably in PJs, but um, our, our characters look insane <laughs> because we're leveling up <laughs> uh, playing so much. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super curious about about that. Yeah, the, I mean, the pandemic really accelerated things for us. Um, you know, we were in an amazing position of having, um, you know, we've now had experience at the beginning of 2020 in building virtual worlds and virtual retail environments um, and also creating purely digital fashion. Um, and at the same time, we also had um, a kind of small batch supply chain set up so we could still do some physical production, um, even with all of the restrictions. Um, mm. So suddenly a lot of people wanted to collaborate with us because we had uh, the solution to their, you know, their problem through 2020. Um, and they had a whole marketing budget that needed redirecting. Um, so we did um, collaborations with, uh, with Reebok, with Assassin's Creed, with Sanrio. Um, I think, you know, there was the level of consumer understanding around virtual identity was already there because there was already like a prolific market for gaming skins but for wider industry outside of the gaming industry to really understand it um that you know that was a really significant shift um mm. during the pandemic yeah no super interesting and um danny loftus who you know you and i both know um member of Red Dow, the, the digital fashion Dow, she wrote this amazing white paper and she makes this like really interesting distinction between like ORL, so on real life, so digital fashion worn by humans, and then URL, unreal life, so digital fashion worn by avatars. Um, I'm curious, like, as there's been this um, innovation in the fashion space, especially around digital fashion, have brands been more excited by the ORL or the URL? So Avatars think, or humans? I think ORL was an easier proof of concept. Um, mm. So we've seen a lot more, um, you know, a lot more uh, innovation around AR fashion versus avatar-based fashion. Um, sure. But, I mean, personally, um, I think that, it's, you know, it's quite a limited market for um, ORL. Uh, besides, you know, as, as a sales tool for physical fashion, it makes sense. 
Um, I really like using AR to interact with physical garments rather than replace them. Um, so, you know, you can scan a marker on my garment and then it creates a digital layer um, to the garment rather than just being um, an AR dress. Um, I think it's it's more of a um, it's more of a fun additional experience rather than something that's really commercial. Um, whereas creating fashion for avatars is extremely commercial um, and very scalable. Mm, amazing. No, I, I completely agree. Um, and just thinking about how like the, the Spark AR creators, those lenses uh, as well, Lens Studio, like they're still not very easily monetized too. No, so it's, it's, it's a very it's really strange hard. concept to be selling, yeah. selling an AR filter. And, you know, to be fair, mm. the, for fashion, especially the, the tracking is still not there to have the type mm. of experience that you'd want to pay for. Yeah. And even that even brands might want to add on to their, let's say the IRL purchase or uh, yeah. yeah, ORL purchase, let's say. Um, super interesting, actually, this whole point. Obviously, I was working with avatars before, um, but it was more of a, an overlay. And we, you know, I definitely saw a lot of gaps there around sort of the monetization, but the creativity was was super strong. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited about what you're building at Restless, and we'll get to that. Um, but wanted to sort of now sort of gradually think more about sort of your Web3 strategy. So um, you sort of mentioned that you'd done a couple of collabs. Um, obviously, uh, Actually, High Rise, one of uh, Bitcraft's portfolio companies, and then also fairly recently um, with established IP like uh, Pokemon, um, which was really exciting. Um, collaborating with Selfridges, obviously being Brits, that's just awesome. Um, that brand is, is stellar. Uh, can you share a little bit more of your learnings of these from these activations and how it has informed your Web three strategy with Resus? Yeah, so I think. Um... Actually, the collaboration we did with High Rise was a very sort of key turning point for how I was thinking about this. So, we it was a collaboration with the Sanrio character Gutama, um, and we had a physical collection. Um, we had a VR-based experience in the Museum of Other Realities with a VR-based collection, um, and then we also had the uh, collection within High Rise. Um, and it was the first time that we were really looking at this idea of um, interoperability, but it was a very convoluted experience for the actual uh, consumer because they had to have three different, um, I guess, kind of purchase flows and experiences. Um, they weren't able to kind of go into one space and access everything from there. Um, so it was it was cool, but it still had this limitation. And from a licensing perspective, um, and you know, we mm. do most of what we're doing is around collaboration and licensing. It was a nightmare because we had to have sort of separate contracts and stipulations for each of these different um, activations and types of garment. Um, so that was really when I started kind of diving into like, how can we set it up so a customer can come into just one space um, and be able to, um, you know, access all of these different ways of um, like wearing and experiencing the collection, um, one space where they can easily portal into these different worlds as well, and then come back 
to where their kind of wardrobe is is living um so mm. that that really was the um ended up being the premise for restless as through that i was trying to figure out how within the charlie cohen brand we could streamline um and by the time i'd figured that out it just made much more sense to build it out as a completely separate product because it was addressing an issue that a lot of us are like facing um in this industry no 100 percent. and and you also touched on something a little bit there around um ownership which i think is super important in web3 like we see it a lot on roblox that there are copycats now i mean the the creator um market is just so saturated now and those glasses i don't know whether you've seen them like the shades I think maybe I think up to like a hundred creators have have made them and are now selling them, uh, and obviously they're just outbidding each other on the starting price. And uh, obviously the the original designer you you don't know of, right? The it's 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 super interesting. And there was um, a great actually one of our venture partners, Seb, put me onto this great story of Anna Relu who runs Kestrel, um, the uh, the the fashion group on Roblox. And what had happened is when Gucci came onto the platform, they realized that they'd actually copied some of their shading. And I'm just thinking with Web3, it would have been a maybe an easier route to sort of show that, you know, over time, show that ownership through the metadata. But here she had to go through the pixels and she had to do it side by side and she had to then share it to, with her lawyers. And it, it was super a super interesting one and especially just with how fashion is going right now, I'm curious as to how you think about, especially ownership and obviously copycats is just, it's just common in the industry, right? Yeah, so like as as you touched on, um, I mean, within virtual, there are so many issues around copycats, um, also obviously historically <laughs> within physical. Um, so yeah, and you know, NFTs and blockchain, they're, you know, proof of first um you can you know you can literally check the history you can also um you know you can you can see who has owned stuff over time um which you know something that is quite common in the uh physical fashion industry is that people will buy stuff and then copy it if you have unlockables within digital that are backed by nfts you could literally track to see if somebody had done that um so there there are you know there are lots of ways that it's protecting ip um the fact that you can build in royalties as well for like reuse and resale of what you've created um is incredible because there's obviously no way to um, be able to benefit from a secondary market as an artist or a designer within the physical world um, or within um, sort of traditional gaming industry. Um, so that's another significant benefit as well. No, I love that. And also another point, because we're, you know, right now it feels like there's a new PFP project every day. Um, <laughs> and there with, is. <laughs> and and or, yeah, not just not just one either. So it's hard to keep track of all of those. But what I am seeing a lot of is, or just hearing um, is that, you know, there's stories of those not fulfilling their roadmaps. So becoming really just a pure collectible over including, you know, any of the utility as promised. Now, the fun thing with digital fashion is that utility is just baked in at the core, right? Like it's, yes, you can collect, but 
you you don't necessarily wear fashion just to stare at it in your wardrobe. Um, sure. Well, I certainly don't anyway. Um, so Or in your wallet. <laughs> or in the wallet. Yes, exactly. How odd is that? How odd is that? Such a strange I look at behavior. my wallet quite often. Just admire all my text-based NFTs, you know? You see, yeah, the thing is, if I was the owner of one of those D&G crowns, I mean, I would want to be wearing that everywhere. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, it's, it's so annoying to me that, that it's not... I'd, correct me if I'm wrong, Charlie, but I don't think you can wear those anywhere, right? No, I don't think you can. I think that... I feel like there is, like, a physical link to some of those D&G pieces. I think yes. now that you've said that, I really need to have a crown custom made for you so you can you can wear it everywhere and I will expect I to see it. you everywhere wearing it <laughs> thank you no that would be really helpful but th- do you see what I'm saying though with, with digital fashion it's it's different and I think you know obviously we're just getting started really on this obviously PFPs um it's it's also baked into the the character as a whole but um I think fashion on its own I think there's real utility baked in and I think that's what makes it so exciting also for Web3. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and also, you know, when it comes to PFPs, like their baked in utility is that you use it as your Twitter profile picture or your social media right. profile picture. And it's doing the same thing as fashion does. It's it's signaling something about your identity. Um, it's connecting you with a community who are buying into that same project. Um and with fashion, that's, you know, that's exactly what you're doing, just dressing your body. Um, and there are, you know, there are so many more applications within Web3 and the virtual world to use digital fashion as a way to express your identity. Um, but um, you could argue that like PFPs are fashion in their, in their yeah. own way because they are kind of doing that same thing. If yeah. you're on YouTube, oh, I'm just showing off my fashion PFP. Look at this. Oh, oh gosh. So I have a PFP and a <laughs> is, it, is it on the is it on the breast pocket? That's uh, that's not too bad. Yeah, I didn't know there was it's uh, subtle, much. Right? Yeah. Very subtle. Yeah. Put it on exactly specifically for this podcast. And sorry if you're listening to this. <laughs> we appreciate uh, that. the podcast uh, player. We do. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> we do. Um and on that actually, oh Nico, perfect segue. So when you're thinking about working with crypto native brands so like the punks let's say as you've given us a great example here um versus sort of established legacy luxury or you know even streetwear brands is there a difference in your approach how do you go like also around creativity around accessibility around the flexibility around the ip i'm sure that you're i mean i'm sure that both have a completely different perspective and maybe before we answer that could you like when you you say approach what what are you doing exactly i think maybe lay that as a foundation and then go into how you approach well how you do that exactly with different types of uh, of brands so i think um sort of streetwear and web3 native have the most similarities um mm-hmm. it's very much this you know based around building up this grassroots community that you launch into very much based around graphics and artwork um whereas luxury fashion the i mean that is the approach they need to be taking in web3 but the approach they've been taking traditionally is very top down so they're used to being able to pay for advertising pay for influencers um and they're now experiencing in like with the 
Web3 native customer that that doesn't fly. Um, so the actual the actual approach, I think, should be very similar, but it's much easier for a streetwear brand or a sportswear brand like, like say, Adidas, who did a pretty good job of coming into the space to get their head around because it's reflecting how they've approached things in the physical world or even in Web2 based social media. Um, luxury fashion, I think it's even more important for them to be collaborating with, um, you know, with artists who are already in the space because they have yet another set of steps they need to take to kind of prove that they're authentically thinking about how do they bring value to the community. Um, they have a lot more to prove, but they're coming from a place where they've been kind of able to sit on their laurels and they're used to people coming to them and they're used to having the power. Um, so it's it's quite a head fuck for them. Oh, I'm sure. This is really interesting. And you mentioned Adidas. Like, Could you share a little bit for those that may not have known about some of those drops? Yeah, so Adidas, like I honestly, like I'm throwing them out so much as an example that they should be paying me at this point. <laughs> um, Take but, note, yeah, Adidas. I'll be... <laughs> be sliding into the DMs asking where my royalty is. Um, but they um, they took a whole year of um, engaging with community in the space before they even thought about, well, before they even spoke about monetizing and dropping a uh, product. Um, and that's something that, I mean, I have a lot of respect for. I think the community at large has, has a lot of respect for. Um, so they were very active. And then when they did drop their first um products they did it in collaboration with two really like well-loved well-respected ips in the space um board apes yacht club and punks comics um and also did it together with uh, g money as a consultant who is again like a very sort of well-known and well-respected collector in the space so they had so many touch points along the way just showing how much they'd thought about and researched what the community actually wants and what would, you know, how can they bring value to the space rather than how can the space bring value to them? No, that's really interesting. And I love that you brought up the power shift because I think it's really palpable um, right now. And I, I love it. Brand- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's never been this way. Right. So it's like, it, it's super interesting just to view. And then just on the flip side, if we're moving away from brands and we're thinking more about platforms um, specifically in the web three space, what do you think they should be considering when they're thinking about building out their avatar systems, especially around expression? So, you know, thinking form factors, skins, etc. What are some of your must-haves just from someone also building a platform within the space? So I guess from the avatar perspective, especially, um, we have a kind of clean slate here to address some of the issues that have been prolific in the physical fashion industry around like representation, body shape, skin color, like all of these things that have been, you know, a a major, major issue and, you know, still, you know, relatively little improvement um, in the last couple of decades. So I think there needs to be a real effort for platforms building out especially creating avatars first of all to make sure that within their actual teams they have um real representation um so that 
you know, that can be fed back into how the actual products and avatars are being designed. Um, and then, yeah, making sure that that then um, informs how these avatars are created. If you're, um, if you're creating something that is supposed to, you know, like if you're creating animals, then fine. Um, but if you're creating something that is supposed to be reflecting kind of human race, then I think there's a massive responsibility there to repair some of the damage that's been done. Yeah, no, amazing. And and also in terms of interoperability, do you think that there is some strength in having an avatar that can cross a, you know, a few of these Web3 worlds? Or do you think that being able to express yourself not doesn't just apply to dress, but also different form factors. Like, I'm just thinking to myself now, I, maybe I kind of like that I'm blocky in, in, in Roblox and then in Fortnite I'm more streamlined and I, you know, it's, it's obviously more high fidelity. I'm, I'm curious about whether you think that also, it's just occurred to me, not just around fashion, but also the form factor. Faye, I sorry, think it's, I think it's are you nice using... to... Oh. Go on. Yeah, I was going to say, are you using Fortnite as an example for high fidelity? Yes. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I, I would probably. I know a few games who do a better okay. job at high fidelity. But than I'm I'm used to the blocky, so in a comparison, <laughs> it's yeah. relative to. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair point. Fair point. But yes. I'm curious about your thoughts around off, off, off the back of that, off the back of that brutal burn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think it's good to Classic. have the, the option. Um, so, you know, I think you're going to have sort of two sets of people um, with avatars and with fashion as well. Like the ones who really do want to have a sort of very consistent identity um, across all of the, platforms that they're engaging in um, and those who will want to explore different facets of their identity and different alter egos um, in each of these spaces but it's certainly nice to be able to have like your avatar set up especially when you just want to kind of investigate mm -hmm. an environment so you can go in as you figure out you know the lay of the land there um, and then maybe that evolves into you creating your own like specific avatar that is uh, kind of fits more into the aesthetic of that space um but you know interoperability should be just about having these options uh, however mm. you want to be exploring identity you should be able to do that yeah no i think that's i think that's totally fair um and then i had one other question just around how you view NFTs and the idea of luxury and how, how luxury might be changing in the Web3 context. So luxury is, is typically related to high quality, but in this sense, it's also with Web3, it's around ex accessibility and exclusivity. And I'm curious about how you're thinking yeah. about building sort of a quote unquote luxury brand and what that means in this context. So, you know, in, in the NFT space, like luxury is, purely about scarcity yeah um and you know the the flex that's associated with scarcity like it means that you know if you got onto that first mint like you have to have been in the know maybe you're some you know maybe you got whitelisted because and you know that that is a flex 
um, because this is such an exclusive uh, product. So it doesn't necessarily even have to relate to price point in the same way. Um, but obviously, when you have something that's scarce, the likelihood is um, that the resale price is going to go up and up and up. Um, so that's that's really that's really how it's determined, I think, in the NFT space. Yeah, no, totally agree. Um, and then just sort of leading on from that, thinking more about accessibility and it not be, and it being, sorry, as you say, based on scarcity right now, I think that also comes from the lack of, of 3D design tools also. Um, I'm, I'm curious, like in digital fashion and 3D asset creation, it feels like the, the bottlenecks are around sort of the tools available. We've got Maya, we've got Blender. Obviously on Roblox, it's a lot easier, but when you need to make something other than, um, let's say, a T-shirt and, and pant combo, um, you really have to leave that to the, the UGC experts, right, in the, in the creator program. So I'm curious as to, do you see a world in which everyone is able to create and customize their own virtual garments? What needs to change? Um, are you seeing any any cool um, innovations in this space? What gets you excited? Really curious on on that part. So I agree. Like right now, there is a huge barrier to three D three D design, and especially three um, D apparel, where you're having to you're having to rig. Like there are so many different considerations, um, and just I guess like you know experience and technical know how that's required. Um, so I think like, yes, it makes complete sense in the digital world that the actual consumer should be able to customize and personalize um, and, you know, have a lot of, you know, power over the looks that they create for themselves. Um, but we, you know, we need far more tools to support that. Like you say, like, you know, Roblox is a, a good example of being, you know, you have your your building blocks exactly. um, but being able to take some of those tools into something that's much more kind of high fidelity um that's you know that's a big challenge i guess you know that's why we're you know starting to tackle that with restless um so you know initially we're looking at around customizing with um, like graphics and texture application um and you know over time there will be more tools to be actually kind of playing around with the silhouettes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, like what we're doing there is making sure that once you've done that, you're it's automatically creating a version for each of the worlds that you need it for. So you don't need to worry about building from scratch in each space. Um, maybe we can dive but, up, double down on uh, that and just sort of understand exactly yeah. how Restless works for a creator and also a consumer, both of those um, personas, I think that would be really helpful for uh, listeners also. Yeah, for sure. Um, so as so initially, I mean, initially, we're starting off with these uh, curated drops, but as we start opening it up to user generated content, um, an artist is able to come in um, and drop their sort of limited edition graphics and textures to be applied to garments. Mm. Um, and then their fan base is able to come in, choose from a selection of silhouettes, um, customize it with these limited edition textures. So they could be, you know, they could be one of ones, they could be editions, um, just approaching it the same way as NFT art. Um, 
you mint that and then put together a bundle of different environments you want to be able to export it into. So for each of those environments, there's a version of that garment that's been created for that specific um, that specific engine or that specific aesthetic. Um, and as uh, Restless kind of continues to support more environments across um, I mean, Web3, but also traditional gaming industry, you can continually come back in and add a version for that environment. Cool. No, that's really helpful. And then where brands come in is they allow their IP um, to be used as sort of the customized template, let's say, for creators. Exactly. Cool. Exactly. So what that enables is that brands have some level of control. Um, it's it's almost like it's the best of both worlds, right? They they allow the community to come in and experiment while also having the, the management tooling to, you know, essentially still hold on and still get full visibility yeah, of, so of they where can, the IP is being used. They can build their own boundaries around exactly how the IP can be used. Um, you know, if there are commercial rights, in which case that user can, you know, create additions using the IP and, um, and go on to sell those. Something that um, will work particularly well with uh, PFP projects, as so many of those have commercial rights. So it kind of allows a holder yeah. to monetize their pfp without having to sell it um oh super nice but uh, yeah from from the from the ip perspective um they have they have a lot of control they can um they can veto environments if there's a conflict especially when we're bringing in um gaming ip there's you know there's possibilities of conflict of you know competitor gamer environments um but uh yeah they and they're also able to um, so yeah, see how the IP is being used, um, collect all of the secondary market royalties and so on. No, amazing. And then my question on this part would be, which brand would you be most excited to work with? Which brand is on your wish list? Either to do a, um, an, an NFT drop collab or just to have them, um, you know, as a partner on Restless. So I think from the, like from the, PFP side, like it would be great to work with Yuga Labs, of course. Um, on the um, music side, and that's going to be a a real focus for us. Um, you know, really would love to work with artists who have you know already shown their commitment to Web three, like Grimes and Snoop. Yeah. Um, and then on the pop culture side, I think bringing in some of this um you know really iconic um anime ip like akira would be amazing oh no i i completely agree with you um and we're also very excited about that space we can't say too much right now but um yes we're also looking into it um quite intently uh and then sort of finally really want to talk to you a little bit about your decentraland activation and fashion week obviously the Metaverse Fashion Week was big. Um, spoke to a lot of people after who absolutely loved it, and lots of brands came and, and obviously were representative there. Sorry, represented there. Um, so curious as to if whether you can share a little bit with listeners about what what you did in the space and uh, some of the assets that you made. I love them. Yeah. <laughs> as you <laughs> Thank know. Thank you. Thank you. 
<laughs> as yeah, as as I know. Um, so we um, our decentraland experience was based around um, a uh, a meteor, like a piece of the um, restless planet uh, that crashed into decentraland. Um, so you could go into this kind of massive crystal um and there it was a kind of gamified experience where if you solve the um the mystery of the crystal um you'd uh, you'd get a po app so we were um we launched our discord discord at the same time so we had like a big meetup in there and everyone was kind of working together to solve this riddle which was really fun um and then we had um a rooftop after party as well um where we worked with uh, this awesome DJ, DJ Dave, who live codes uh, music. So we had um, we had her in avatar form wearing the um, like Restless Times Charlie Cohen collection, um, which was kind of teasing a lot around the Restless law. So we had um, we had these kind of very specific headphones that are part of the um, like the Restless avatar or the wrestling um that you'll be experiencing once you start kind of creating in the in the platform um we had uh like crystal wings um and then um garments that were yeah uh, covered in kind of code and and symbols um so there's a, a big alchemy theme through how the restless law is being built out um so we had lots of easter eggs hidden in each of the designs and then in the space itself I think it was just, it was really important for us to um, create something that wasn't just a kind of replica of what we could do as a like physical fashion show um, or a physical fashion installation. Um, you know, when you're, um, you know, when you're like navigating around a digital space, you're not expecting as the consumer to have, you're not going in there just to look at stuff. You want to be able to do stuff um, and, uh, you know, engage with stuff and work things out. Um, so that's what we were kind of focusing very heavily on. No, oh, amazing. And um, our assets looked stunning and especially loved like the wings. Um but uh, no, I know we had a little DM back and forth on that. Thought it was really great. And uh, finally, want to give you the um, opportunity now to just share a little bit more on what's next. Um, actually, for those that were listening very intently, uh, Charlie did give away the answer to the riddle on the Discord. So you may have to go back and listen <laughs> again. Um, <laughs> but Charlie, tell us a little bit more of what's next. Um, where they can find you, what we can expect from Restless um, in the future. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we are ramping up to our launch. Um, prior to that, there will be a, a month of beta. Um, there'll be sort of further ciphers to access the beta. Um, and in there, there will be a, a mint that is exclusive to the beta. Um, and then for public launch, our first collaboration will be with a, a much-loved Web3 native project um, that, to, yeah, to kind of clue you in, has a lot of, has a lot of vibes, famously a lot of vibes. Um, so that, <laughs> that's, that's really exciting. Um, and okay. we, 
we have a, a pretty awesome lineup of um, of projects, Web3 native artists um, and sort of traditional IP, especially music industry that's going to be coming through with these curated drops. So it's really, um, you know, uh, we're really focusing on pulling from both Web3 native, but also um, traditional pop culture and music IP that really speaks to the Web3 um, Web3 audience. Um, so yeah, so that's that's kind of the the lineup without giving too much away. Um, the best place for Alpha is our Discord. Um, we um, we're also pretty active on Twitter at RestlessXYZ, and you can get the uh, the Discord invite link from there. Um, and I'm going to be fairly regularly doing AMAs on the Discord as well. So. If you want to try and like hit me up for any more alpha and seeing why let's slip, then that's the place to do it. That's that's what we're here for, the alpha. Um, so one thing I like to do is to throw out things that I have in my head and then get a reaction from people that is usually like, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, and sometimes, oh, that makes sense. And so, you know, hearing you speak, should I think um, or should I imagine, you know, within five years, me wearing my restless x you know my my favorite brand swag and using that within all of the the virtual worlds that i like to hang out in yes absolutely okay cool. not not in five years Already. like much sooner than that <laughs> much sooner than that all right and and then as a next step because i mean okay virtual worlds that there it makes sense right now i'm thinking you know multiplayer games um you know like fortnite do you think we'll be in in a place where you'll be able to have your customizable characters within a game like that yes yeah um we're already having those conversations and it's it's a different way of working um compared mm -hmm. to web3 native um and you know it will take longer obviously there is huge resistance from the um the gaming audience right now so mm -hmm. all of the triple a's mm. are pretty pretty scared um but one of the things that we're kind of focused on with restless is creating a a middle ground that allows um the traditional gaming industry to kind of dabble without having to be like okay we're creating an nft um, so, so yeah, that's something that's a big focus for us. Mm -hmm. And one last question that I had when I, I heard you speak, uh, heard you speak about brands, um, whenever we've seen a major platform shift in the past, uh, whether it was in, you know, going from physical to, to, to digital or, um, you know, with the rise of mobile and free-to-play gaming within the gaming industry, more specific, we've often seen a very big shift in who the main players are. Um, and so my question is, how do you see the current uh, fashion, titans of fashion exists um, within Web3? Do you think they have the correct mindset to... Um, fully partake in this um, or do you think we'll see you know more web3 native brands actually like become you know the new uh, Louis Vuitton etc I think some of the traditional brands they get it very you know a very small minority of them um, but I think now is an amazing opportunity um, for there to be um, you know new new legacies beginning in web3 um, I think you know we've it's been sort of long enough um, working with the sort of hierarchies and old guard of the traditional fashion industry. Um, so personally, I would love to see 
um, you know, Web3 native kind of taking over and really taking the power that they have right now. Um, I think in reality, we'll see kind of a combination of, you know, some some traditional brands who really get their head around it, but also um, new brands emerging from the Web3 space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Cool. Well, um, this was extremely enlightening. I, I learned a lot. This is a space that I, I don't think about enough because um, I'm in my PJs at home and, you know, my avatars in virtual worlds, they wear, you know, magic clothes because I'm a mage in Elden Ring. So I don't, I, that, that's all I do. Yeah. I, I like to suffer. Uh, anyway, so this, this was amazing. Um, Charlie and Faye, uh, thank you so much for being here. Both of you are great. I'm very jealous of that very clear British accent. Um, yeah, it's just it's just amazing. I love listening to this. Could could like yeah. I might put this on. I, I didn't say too much, so I might put this on. You know, just calm down before I go to bed. Amazing. A bit of ASMR. Cool. Well, listener. Yeah, yeah <laughs> there Especially you go. With this mic. Um, listener. Yeah. Yeah, I, I forced Faye to get a mic, and um, I'm, I'm trying to get a, her on more. So if I should really push, let me know, and then I, I might have some, some, you know, I can tell the listeners want this. Do it for the listeners. Anyway, if you made it till here, thank you so much. Uh, we really hope you enjoyed, and if you can, smash that like button. I love saying that. And, you know, Spotify also allows you to rate your podcast, so give us five stars if you think we did a good job, um, especially Faye and Charlie. Um, and yeah, with that, uh, Faye, Charlie, thank you so much. Listener, thank you for listening. This was The Metacast by Navic, and we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Cheers. Cheers.